0: Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Come on up, everybody. Feel free to bring somebody along with you if you'd like. Mom or dad or somebody else. All right. Good to see everyone. All right, today we're going to be taking a look at baptism. How many of you, raise your hand if you've ever seen someone be baptized. Have you ever seen that happen? Yeah, lots of you have seen it already, right? And so what happens is we take somebody, we take them down underneath the water, and then we bring them back up, right? We don't hold them under a long time, right? We just bring them down under for a little bit and then back up, right? So today I want to help you understand baptism a little bit more, all right? So in order to do that, sometimes uh, we can have things that give us a picture of something that help us to understand. So I have something here. Baptism is similar in some ways to an x-ray, right? Do you know what an x-ray is? What, is, what does an x-ray do? It, yeah, it scans your bones. It takes a picture of what's happening inside your body, right? An x-ray takes a picture of what's taking place inside your body, right? So this is an x-ray, and what does this x-ray show has taken place inside this person's arm? You can say it out loud. What's taken place? Broken bones, right? Yeah, you broke yours. Yeah, we have some people uh, in our congregation right now, we have broken bones. Their x-ray may have looked similar to this not too long ago, right? So broken bones. So x-ray is a picture of what has taken place inside the body, right? So baptism is, in a way, similar to that. It's kind of a picture for us. It's something that we can see that shows us what has taken place inside a person, in their spirit, where we can't look and see with our eyes. So it's an outward picture of an inward change, a change that has taken place. So this has changed inside, right? The bones were healthy, and then they broke. Baptism shows a picture of a change that has taken place. It's a physical thing that we can see and do that shows a spiritual reality that's taking place within a person. So when someone believes in the gospel, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they have new spiritual life, right? And we don't see that right away with our physical eyes. But the Bible says that when somebody comes to faith in Christ, they have died with Christ and that they were buried with Christ and that they are raised with Christ to new life. Right, so, they're united with Jesus in those ways in his death, burial, and resurrection. So, this takes place within spiritually. Right? We don't see it with our eyes, but baptism then is a picture of this. It gives us a visual to see that what has taken place. So, death is like the person coming back. Burial is going, like symbolized by going under the water, and then bringing them out of the water symbolizes raising again to life, to new life in Christ. And so it shows us that. It's a picture for us. And so those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ proclaim the gospel by being baptized. They kind of, they don't do it with their words, but they do it by what is happening to them. They have proclaimed the gospel. So when we baptize people, that's what we're doing. It's another way for us of proclaiming the gospel and showing what takes place when somebody comes to faith in Christ. You show what God has done in saving them. And so then the church gets to celebrate that with somebody. We get to celebrate what God has done in their life in saving them from all their sin. And so that's why baptism is such a special thing. So, Pastor Jeremy's going to come and he's going to preach more about baptism so you can listen as Pastor Jeremy comes and preaches, all right? Thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat.
1: Thank you, Pastor Jeff. That was very helpful. Uh, The analogy of the x-ray as seeing inside, baptism being a picture of the work that God does inside, very, very, very helpful. Wish I would have thought of it myself. All right, uh, Galatians 3, 27. I said last week that I wanted to preach generally on verses 24 to 29, seeing the goodness of God in the uh, gospel there. And then we were going to take this Sunday to look at the controversy around verse 27 and 28. And then as I was writing the sermon, I wrote the sermon on baptism, and that was an entire sermon and didn't get to verse 28, so next week we'll do that. Um, I think it'll be helpful to do those in two, because there are real questions here that really matter in our lives, and so it's worth two weeks on it. Uh, But verse 27 isn't about baptism, that is, it isn't given to us to instruct us mainly on what baptism is. That's a, a good use of it. But the main thing is that we have put on Christ. That's, that's what's going on here in verse 27, that we are so unified, one with in intimate fellowship with Jesus, it's like you're clothed in him. That when the Father looks on us, he sees us as covered, clothed in His Son. And so all that His Son has earned, all that His Son is, is all that the Father gives us because we're in Christ. We've put on Christ. And baptism, as Pastor Jeff helpfully said, is a picture of that. It's a confirmation of it. It's a sign of it. It's a living Sermon and pictures of it. It's a seal. It helps us to know that this is true. And so I think because baptism, being a Baptistic church, I'll explain what that is a little bit more. we, We need we need to be careful regarding what baptism is and what baptism isn't, and how helpful it is. Because I think in our kind of church, you. You're probably not tempted to put, like to overestimate the importance of baptism. You're probably more tempted to rather underestimate it. And so I want to encourage you to raise it to the level that we see in this verse. So listen as I read this verse. I'm just going to read this verse. But just let this verse kind of, it's scandalous, really, and how it so intimately connects baptism to salvation, to being in Christ. I think sometimes we're not careful enough to be offended by what the Word says because we just want everything neat and tidy and baptism is on a lower shelf. Verse 27 does not allow you to keep it in the back closet. So Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Let's pray. You are the loving Father, and we know that our acceptance with you is only by your undeserved, limitless grace. And so we ask according to that grace for you to work in us a more righteous view of ourselves in Christ, of each other in Christ, and of the high place and goodness of baptism. God, help us to have the faith to be okay with the mystery of this is, baptism doesn't save us. And yet, that doesn't make baptism unimportant or something that we can leave it or take it. And so, God, help us to see this rightly and help me in preaching it, to be helpful to your people. So, praise you for the gift of baptism and help us understand it better. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. The issue, again, in Galatians, what is the issue? Why did he write this letter? Anybody remember what's, what's the presenting issue, right? There's a, Paul's a doctor, the patients come in, and there's an issue. What's the issue? Circumcision. The old covenant sacrament sign of being a part of God's people. There were some false teachers saying that unless you're circumcised... You can't go to heaven. Yes, faith in Jesus, but faith in Jesus plus circumcision. You've heard this before. So what Paul isn't doing in verse 27 is saying, no, 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 they're wrong. It's not circumcision, it's baptism. Paul isn't saying that. He isn't saying, yes, faith in Jesus, but without baptism, you can't go to heaven. That's not what verse 27 is saying here. Verse 27 is simply saying, That baptism is the external sign signifying an internal new life. So, at one place in the Bible we read that it isn't about external circumcision, but about circumcision of the heart. As there could be many people circumcised who have no heart for Christ. Same thing with baptism, right? Right? think many people baptized who really have no love for Jesus and no actual living faith in him so the point in verse 27 isn't to replace circumcision with baptism as necessary for salvation but to again confirm to every christian that just like there's no qualification other than faith for baptism. We don't just baptize Jews and no Gentiles. We don't just baptize males and not women. We don't just baptize freemen or landowners and not slaves. Just like the only thing that brings you to the waters of baptism is faith. So the only thing that brings you to God is faith in his Son. That's the point. It's the equality of God's people before God through faith in Jesus Christ. And baptism as the external, God-given, Christ-ordained sign of that. That's the point here. Why? So God gets all the glory. It's only by God's goodness that you have any part in Christ. Not, Not by baptism. It's only by God's kindness to you And taking you out of the pit and cleaning you up and bringing you to his son that you have any hope of eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins. It's it's all God's grace. It's all God's kindness. So in verse 26, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. We sang it in, in Christ Jesus. We have this fellowship with the one true eternal and triune God and it's a marvelous gift. It's God's kindness. And then in verse 27, those of this faith have put on Christ. We're clothed in Him. And baptism is the external communication from God of this internal reality. And there's, there's kind of a play on words going on here. When we do baptism, let's say, at the park, people come to church in their church clothes, and then they change clothes, right? And then they get baptized in those clothes, and then after they're done being baptized, they go and change again. This, This is part of the baptism ritual. In fact, there were actually baptism clothes that people would wear, and then afterwards there were different clothes that they would put on. In Roman times, a young man would wear clothing signifying that he was not yet a man. He had a a clothing with a crimson border. And every young boy wore that signifying that they were still a child. They were still a, a boy. And then when they became a man and came to the age of manhood, they would take off the crimson bordered clothing and put on the toga of a man, the man's clothes, And so in Christ, your dirty garments of sin are taken off. Your childish ways of being under the law and oppressed and condemned have been taken off. And you have put on Christ. You're clothed in Christ. And baptism, which requires, because you get dunked, a change of clothing. Baptism is... By the Holy Spirit, here brought in for your mind to see this that just like externally you change clothes, so spiritually, before God, you've been remade, renewed, redressed. And so, baptism is the sign signifying the beginning of that. Does that make sense? Let me show you a picture of it. We're in the New Testament. The first book in the New Testament is Matthew. Two books before that in the Old Testament is uh, Zechariah. So would you go there? So two books before Matthew, Zechariah chapter 3. It's a a good picture given here of putting on Christ. Zechariah 3. Now, you have a picture here of the high priest, and a priest always deals with forgiveness of sins. The priest represents God's people to God and mediates a sacrifice picturing the forgiveness of sins. But what do you do if the high priest himself is just dirty, sinful? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in big trouble. And so this is what is signified here. The high priest, Joshua, is standing before the angel Lord and Satan is right there accusing him. Satan is the great accuser. Satan is the accuser of God's people. And one of the difficulties here is Satan's accusations are true. (laughs) They're based on fact. Because the high priest is dirty. But Satan is rebuked in verse two and in verse three. See, Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments. He's sinful. He's He's clothed in Adam. He's full of wickedness. Our hearts are deceitful above all else. Our minds are filled with sinful thoughts and sinful intents. We're dirty. We're filthy, it says. And verse 4 is the picture of our salvation, of what God does in His grace. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from Him. Sin is taken off, not by our works, but by God's grace. Put on Christ, and Christ, clothed in our sin, pays the penalty for our sin. But that's not enough. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. We put on clean. We put on Christ. Now here we're not talking about, sometimes the Bible talks about us putting on doing what's right. Putting on righteous deeds. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not what we're talking about in Galatians. We're not talking about doing what's right. We're talking about counted as right before God. Apart from our doing. God in his grace clothes the priest, the representative before God, representing all his people in righteousness. Christ's righteousness. Back to Galatians 3.27, that's what we're seeing here and baptism is the external sign of that. And so we don't put on Christ here in 3.27 as far as like imitating his life. We're putting on Christ as far as putting on the righteous record of his life. This is salvation. It's only by faith. So baptism is the sign of that. Baptism is the the sign of putting on Christ. It isn't the cause of it. You have to keep this straight in your head. You have to keep this right. Baptism doesn't cause you to be clothed in Christ. Baptism is a Picture a sermon, visible that you have been clothed in Christ. And so, the letter of Galatians was written to destroy the lie that salvation includes your works. Again, Paul is not here replacing circumcision with baptism. As if say, my opponents are wrong. And they're not wrong to say you need to do something. They're wrong. And saying circumcision, it's baptism. That's not what he's saying. And we know this because there are many, again, who were circumcised who had no part in God's people. Just as there are many who are, some who are baptized who have no part in Christ. Baptism does not save you. Instead, baptism looks back to what God does in saving us in Christ and cleansing us of our sins and clothing us in Christ's righteousness and in communicating to us and to all in a living picture that we are Christ. And here's the difficulty. Because we want to be careful to not believe the lie or communicate the lie that we need to be baptized in order to be saved. We then just say, well, baptism isn't important much at all. And so we have to, as Christians, be okay with these kind of mysteries. It's kind of what we've been dealing with in regards to the law in Galatians. Galatians talks very negatively about the law. Again and again and again. In fact, if you only read Galatians and didn't read anything else in the Bible, you would think that God's law in the Bible is only bad. It's got no place at all in our lives. But we don't only have Galatians. We have many other places in the Bible that talk about God's law. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, sings the goodness and glories of God's law the wisdom of it, the beauty of it. And so we as Christians have to know that in regards to our being justified before God, the law is nothing. It's got no place at all in your life. You're dead to it. But as a Christian, we learn to love God's law. It works really well. It reveals to us the beauty of God God and his wisdom and his justice. It shows us how our lives work. We see it, it's goodness in the world, restraining sin, how the world would just be chaos without it. And so you have to have both of those. I have no acceptance before God and the law. The law is nothing to me. And yet, in Christ the law is everything. I love it. And both of those are true and you're not insane from holding both of those. Again, in regards to election, Our salvation is all of God's sovereign gift. He chooses, He picks, and you have to repent and believe. Both are true. And in baptism, it is absolutely true that baptism is not necessary as the cause of your salvation. Baptism does not bring you new life. And yet, baptism is required and essential for every believer. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, there's some differences in how believers, well, uh, how Christians over time talk about baptism. Now, Many of you are former Roman Catholics. How many of you come from a Roman Catholic background? I don't know, half or so. Here's a quote from a preeminent Roman Catholic theologian. Baptism is the sacrament in which man being washed in water in the name of the three divine persons, listen, is spiritually reborn. That is, baptism is the cause of you being born again. You receive you getting new life. That is, when an infant is sprinkled with water, they are spiritually reborn. Do you believe that? We can't believe that. That's not what verse 27 is saying. In fact, that's going against the entirety of this passage, the entirety of this letter. Because Roman Catholics deny that justification is by faith faith. Justification is by baptism. Justification is by sacraments. But in Galatians, justification is not by sacraments. It is not by works. It is only by faith. But again, our mistake isn't in that direction. Roman Catholics and some others, place baptism where only faith in Christ belongs, where only Christ belongs. They way overestimate. But I I don't think that's the direction of our error. Now, we, because we are sinfully humans, will always be tempted to include our works in salvation. Okay, can you... Do you, do you have the humility to admit this, please? Your heart, like my heart, like every believer's heart, is an idol factory. We constantly want to hold up things about ourselves to, make, to think that we're more spiritually superior and acceptable to God than other people. That's you, that's me, that's you. And if you're right now saying to yourself... Arguing with me on that point, that's doubly you. That's that's all the evidence that you need that that's you. So, So that will be a temptation, but mainly in regards to baptism itself, our mistake is in the other direction. We don't think too highly of baptism, we think too little of it. Roman Catholics take baptism way too far above what verse 27 teaches and we, in reaction against it, far fall short of the good place that verse 27 holds it. Just listen to the importance that God places here on baptism. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Why does Paul bring in baptism here? His whole argument has been against a sacrament, circumcision. Why does he bring in a sacrament, an ordinance, baptism? Well, you know, if he were here arguing with people who were saying, baptism saves you, he wouldn't have brought it in here. He wants to teach the faithful the high importance of baptism and how baptism intimately communicates to us the grace of God. And so he's not at all timid to speak of baptism as if it's like being placed into Christ, as if it's like being putting on Christ and connecting baptism very closely with the truth that God communicates through baptism. Okay, So baptism isn't the truth of Christ, is it? Christ is alone your salvation. Christ is alone your hope of eternal life. Christ is your everything. Baptism is a communication of that fact. So baptism does communicate the grace of God to us. God alone saves us. Baptism is no empty, cold ritual, but has real significance and spiritual power in our lives. Now, throughout Christian history, in response against Roman Catholicism, Protestants, what we are, have sometimes fallen into the error of just seeing baptism as like an empty sign. It really doesn't mean anything. In fact, some have even gone so far as to no longer practice it at all. But didn't Jesus himself... Undergo the waters of baptism, didn't Jesus himself tell the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? If you read the book of Acts, didn't the Holy Spirit-inspired apostles, after preaching the gospel and seeing men and women come to Christ, didn't the next thing they do, give them the Lord's Supper, right? What did they do? They baptized them. And yet we're so wise that we think better than Jesus, that we think better than the Holy Spirit-inspired apostles who wrote Holy Scripture, that we can come to Christ and then not be baptized. So we have unbelief. We, as elders, we've been talking about this uh, because we have not been careful and done a good job of leading you in regards to your children Because you have believing children who have not yet been baptized, and yet they're coming and taking the Lord's Supper. Now by saying that, I don't mean that to condemn you. And I don't mean that to just say that you should refuse your child the Lord's Supper after having welcomed him or her until they're baptized. And yet why do we think so highly of the Lord's Supper and yet so little of baptism? Why do we take one sign, the Lord's Supper, and refuse the other, baptism? When here in verse 27... Baptism is spoken as if it's putting on Christ. It isn't, but it's the sign communicating it. Well, why would we do that? Well, one is what I've just admitted. I have not taught it well. We as pastors and elders haven't talked well with you. We've not instructed you well on it. That's one reason. Maybe it's the main. But there's another one. The Lord's Supper is really easy. Everybody's doing it all at the same time, in a warm building. And to not do it is to draw attention to yourself when everybody else is lining up and coming forward. And there are some of you who shouldn't take the Lord's Supper because of your unbelief or because of your ongoing unrepentant sin. Well, yet in baptism, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. You have to go out into the water in front of the church and you have to give your testimony and go under and come up. And yet, when Christ came, didn't he identify with us in every way? Didn't he take on your flesh? Didn't he live... Not a life of a king, but a life of a lower middle class. You, me. Didn't he take your sin upon himself to the cross? Didn't he go into the grave on your behalf to suffer your death? And baptism is, in a sense, our saying, I identify with him. He identified with us first. He took on our flesh, our misery, our sin, and we in baptism identify with him. In all pagan religions, there are baptism rituals. And the baptism ritual is, I'm with the pagan gods, I'm with the idol, I'm... You're identifying yourself lock, stock, and barrel with that idol. And in the Christian culture in Jesus' day, for a Christian to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was to say, I'm not with that. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. They took the ritual given by Christ And said to everybody, that way is gone. I'm no longer doing that. I'm no longer with that. That was wrong. Jesus is right. Uh, My commitment is in him. My loyalty is to him. My fidelity is his. That's one of the things we're communicating in baptism. And so baptism is humbling. Humiliating, it's a commitment, it's a sign, it's a covenant. And so, believers, you must be baptized. I don't have time for the differences between infant baptism and believer's baptism this morning. So, we at Pine Grove hold to what we call Believer's Baptism. On YouTube, we have videos teaching the differences. You can go check those out if you want. Or come and talk more with us. We'd love to talk to you about it. But if you're a believer and have not yet been baptized, you are in disobedience to God. Now, this is a sin of omission, not a sin of commission. Omission are things that God has called you to do that you haven't yet done, Sins of commission are actively doing things that God has told you not to do. So you are omitting doing what Christ himself has commanded you to do, which is to be baptized. So if you're taking the Lord's Supper, which is the sign of inclusion at God's table, within God's house, but you haven't yet walked through the door of baptism, that's like a baby not yet being born but demands his driver's license. One comes before the other. One is the sign of entrance. One is the sign of ongoing fellowship. But what do we do with our children? What do we do with children raised in Christian homes who have come to the Lord? Now, we don't think you should baptize your child as an infant. We don't think you should baptize your child until the age that he or her is able to understand his or her need for Christ because of understanding of their wickedness and sin and have some basic understanding of what Jesus did. And yet when a child comes to that age, the first thing that we should do is encourage baptism. Now here I want to insert the elders between your child and yourself as a parent. What do I mean? How many of you have been around other parents who are way too hard on their kids? Maybe in sports. They're just so hard on them. You ever been around somebody like that? You just feel for the kid, like they're expected to be Michael Jordan and they're in 6th grade. They just demand way too much of their children. Or how many of you have been around a kid, let's say at Walmart, the parent obviously doesn't expect enough? The kid is ruling the roost. The kid says jump and mom says how high? Parents sometimes lack objectivity with their children. They can sometimes demand way too much or sometimes fall way short of demanding enough. This is true in regards to our child's Salvation, eternal life. Sometimes parents (laughs) expect Jesus-like perfection of their children before they allow them to be baptized. And sometimes the kid burps sweetly and they think they should be baptized. I had once a mom bring all three of her daughters. They were different sizes, but they looked exactly the same and thought they should all be baptized together right now. I thought, well, that's odd that they all came to Jesus at exactly the same time. They just weren't careful for the kids' souls. So I think parents, one of the things you should be encouraged to do is when you begin to see your child confessing faith in Jesus, desiring to partake in the things of the church it takes, talk with them about it, pray with them about it, and then bring them to the elders an elder, two elders, pastors, and explain what's going on. Be there with them. We're not going to be harsh, this is not going to be an interrogation. We, We want to help you discern where your child is at with the Lord and help you with that. And so, talk with your child. Pray with them. Schedule a time to meet with a pastor and elder, probably a couple of us. Because God has given us to help you shepherd your children. And isn't entering the waters of baptism, which signifies to your child, that they are within God's people, that they have been forgiven of all of their sins, that they have been raised to new life, that God is their God and that they are named with his name. Shouldn't you want shepherding help there? And so beware that sometimes you may set the bar way too high above just simple faith in Jesus. and Sometimes you may just bring your child to be baptized without any faith in Jesus. It's totally true. Now, as far as the Lord's Supper and baptism, there is no chapter and verse that says, thou shalt not take the Lord's Supper until you've been baptized. And yet, that is everywhere the pattern in Scripture. They believe, they're baptized, and then they take the Lord's Supper. If you know church history at all, they were not allowed to take the Lord's Supper until a period of time of teaching instructing them in the faith, testing their fidelity. Then they were baptized, and then they were welcomed to the Lord's Supper. And by the way, they're often baptized naked, men and women separate. We won't do that. So what does baptism say to us? Look at verse 27 again. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is communicating that we are in Christ and have put on Christ. It's glorious. You hear from us in the pulpit regularly the goodness of salvation. It's preached with words. Baptism is a sermon with pictures communicating that just as Jesus died, so we died with him. Just as Jesus took our sins to the cross and suffered the wrath of God. And so the penalty is paid. We did that in him. And just as the Father was pleased to raise him to new and eternal and indestructible life, so we have this new life. That's what baptism is preaching. That's what you're seeing. Baptism is saying that God has identified us with him. We are his. We have his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on us. It signifies that he who began this good work, signified in the waters of baptism, will bring it to completion at the end, raising us to eternal life just like his son. It's preaching that to us. It's saying to you that you are all baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that we belong to a community of believers. Baptism isn't just an individualistic thing. It's a corporate gathering of God's people. We're baptized into a body. We're marked off from the world. We aren't isolated, lonely seekers for heaven, but a band of blood-bought believers with a good work of helping each other remain faithful until Christ's return. And just as the only thing necessary for baptism is faith, so... Only true faith makes us sons of God and inheritors of all that Christ earned on the cross and in His resurrection and in His reign. And so be careful not to exalt baptism to too high of a place. It is only through faith in Christ that you are sons of God. But don't relegate baptism to the basement. It's vital in the life of a believer. It's required. It's a sermon. Let's pray. Father, give us care in how we hear this. Help us to be patient. pray that particularly for parents, that they wouldn't overreact, that they would be gentle as they consider these things and take some time. God, I pray that they'd have faith to include us pastors and elders in it. Help those who heard that we said baptism is necessary to salvation to not hear that, to be careful. And yet, God, help us to hold baptism to the high place that you have put it, that your son ordained it for all believers, and that it is necessary, though not necessary like faith in your son is necessary. And so God, help us to be careful how we hear. But mostly, God, give us faith again to see that We who have faith in your son have put on your son. That we are no longer clothed in Adam, but clothed in your son and so inheritors of all that he's given and that we are one because of that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.